All right, everybody, welcome back in. It is another episode of the Stewcast, and today we 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 it's been on my end just a, a tough time trying to schedule this guy, our guest today. I mean, he's a jet setter. He's he's on your TV. He's on your podcast. He's he might he might be moving in next door. I don't know. He's doing a lot of crazy stuff. He is the great, the one and only TV Zone, Matt Bernier. Matt, how are you? Congrats on um, a real nice, I, I really enjoyed the presentation on uh, Saturday from Lo- Lovely Monmouth on NBC. How are you? How's things? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me back on. Yeah, it's been a minute, but uh, no, all's well. Uh, like you say, busy time of year for a number of reasons, whether it be family stuff or work stuff or you name it, and everybody else is in the same boat. Summertime, I feel like, is when people do most of their you know, travels or they've got other things going on, but all is good. We um, we're in good shape uh, here at the house with the babe. And um, yeah, you know, Saturday at Monmouth, it was another hot one, but uh, good racing. And it just kind of continues to, you know, stoke that fire for me anyway, of what possibly could be at the end of the road in the Breeders' Cup, just because I think, I think we've got a number of divisions that are overly strong sort of um unusually strong if you will and the classic is probably at the top of the list this is uh this is a group of horses both three-year-olds and older that i think there's a real chance that you're looking at the best breeders cup classic that we've seen in probably the past 10 to 15 years and i don't say that lightly i mean i think it could be a potentially really really good race if they all stay together yeah i'm not gonna lie when cyber knife won uh I, I, I wanted, I contemplated uh, adding a new hole to my wall. Um, that was aggravating, but I, I mean, table? a heck of a race. No, no. I love Jack Christopher, but uh, it, it was over. It was over pretty quick for me when I realized going a little bit way too fast and this isn't, you know, grade three competition. Uh, so you're going to get caught. Yeah, and I, I think it was just also a matter of boy that that pedigree was gonna was it seemed like it was gonna bite him at some point, and you know sprint on top, cheap sprint speed on the bottom, and he's he's one of those horses that's kind of an anomaly in that he's already way way overachieved in the grand scheme of things. I mean he's bred to be a a ten thousand dollar sprinter, and for him to be a, a grade one winner as a two year old and grade one winner as a three year old and um, I think he's still the horse to beat as far as a race like the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile is concerned. But, you know, they needed to find out how far he could go. And he was in great position until that final eighth of a mile. And he got passed by two horses that want every bit of nine furlongs, if not more. And it doesn't mean that he's, you know, a failure or anything like that. I saw some people saying, oh, see, he's not that good. I mean, that that seems like a very reactionary viewpoint he's still just as good as he was beforehand it's just he was trying to do something that he didn't truly want to do and um you know again unfortunately for someone like you or anyone else that may have had him tied up in some wagers it didn't work out but i think the sky is still the limit for this horse i think he could be the jackie's warrior of this crop and um again knowing what jackie's warrior is capable of i I don't say that lightly yeah that's that's a fair point and you know it's just one of those things that you brought up a lot of stuff that I thought about, but I said, ah, no, you know, this is, this is it. And you know, you pigeonhole yourself sometimes. That's how you lose in this game. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more horse racing on the flip side of the break. As we go over Saratoga late pick three on Friday, get you go guys uh, 
ready for that. But, I, man, you, uh, congrats on a British Open victory. You were hammering Cameron, Cameron Smith on, uh, on your Twitter. Uh, if you tailed, you know, congrats. I know I did. Um, I, I went a little bit lower. I went top five. So, you know, I still made out pretty good. Um, but I mean, honestly, you know, you, you get, what was he? 28 to one, uh, just a nice victory. And then you follow it up, uh, Adam long, who was in it, uh, all weekend at 3M open. It seems like you're kind of, you, you know, you're hitting that role in golf. Do you, do you hit roles like this where you just kind of, you know, seeing the ball? I, I mean, it, it's probably not a great thing, but that, that's just kind of how I feel like I am with anything I handicap. I'll go on heaters and then I'll go on ice cold streaks. And I'm sure many people are like that too, but um, it does, it does seem like when, and I think so much of it for me, and I know there's, you know, fundamentally there's nothing that I can do to control the outcome, but a, a confidence level of, you know, if I feel like things are rolling, I, I'm, for whatever reason, I just, I just feel much more confident and I have much more conviction with, with some of the plays. And it's not that I'm doing anything necessarily differently than when things aren't working, but um, I just, from the first day I, or, you know, at the beginning of my betting career, not even just professionally, but um, you know, with friends and, and whatnot, it, it seemed like I'm either spotting dimes across the room or I, you know, <laughs> couldn't, you know, if I fell out of a boat, I wouldn't hit the ocean. So, um, you know, it, it's just one of those, one of those things. And, and hopefully things continue on like that. I've joked about it so many times that if I could hand pick my time of year to get hot, it would be right around now through the beginning of November for so many different things. Um, the, the golf season's more or less wrapping up at this point for the big events anyway, but you know, we've got football coming right around the corner. We've got obviously Saratoga and Del Mar and we lead into the Breeders Cup. Uh, hockey's not too far away from now at this point. Baseball, we're in the stretch, you know, the dog days of August pretty quick here. But uh, this to me is the time that if I can be kind of on my game, I, I feel feel pretty good and, and and confident going into things. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice when things work. And uh, I, you know, I guess we could just as easily say it, it wouldn't have worked if, if Cam Smith doesn't go off and you know, rip off a, a string of five birdies on the back nine and uh, Rory makes one of those putts that seems to just burn the edge or anything like that. And I think that's gambling in a nutshell, too. I've talked about it, trying not to be so result oriented. You know, the, the process is still there. But if one of those putts that I'm thinking, especially of that bomb from McElroy from like 100 feet away, I'm trying to think it might have been on 10. And it comes up over this crest, comes down, picks up a little bit of speed and just just died at the very end. And if that goes in, the entire thing could be different. But I don't know that fundamentally the, the decision making was wrong. Just the outcome didn't work out. And instead, McElroy's putt doesn't go in. Cam Smith goes off and does his thing. And he makes the birdie on 18 after being down in the Valley of Sin. It worked out. Does that mean that it would work out if you run the thing back a hundred times? No, but I think that's, I just try to really, you know, even in the, the dark times, try to tell myself, stick to the process and, you know, hopefully the results follow. Now, when you're in a spot like that, and I, I've had to call uh, good friends, I, you know, when you get into a spot where you, you've got a good amount of money you're live to. And I've had this conversation with uh, our friend, Mike Maloney, a few times. 
you you you're alive to a nice little play that that you made on Cam Smith, and I know hedging's for gardeners, but do do you start playing that out in your mind, or are you letting the chips fall where they may? Well, I think it depends what kind of number you're alive to. So for the Cam Smith piece, I wasn't alive for a massive amount. I, I had a hundred to win on him, so it came back just under three thousand. To me, that's not a number worth cutting into to try to save with McElroy at, you know, for the majority of the day, Rory was like minus 135, minus 140. The amount that I would need to bet to get something reasonable back and then to see Cam go and do what he did, I would have just been cutting into those margins. Yeah, uh, I had an event earlier this year with Jason Day where uh, it was real early in the year. It was at uh, actually the, the end of January. It was Pegasus weekend. And I was down in Florida and I had a 90 to one ticket on him. And he holed out from the fairway on like 14 or 15 on Sunday to tie for the lead. And I thought I was in great shape. That was one where I was looking at it saying, all right, I'm alive for almost 10 grand. Let's see if I can pick up one or two of these other guys. The problem was, again, you're dealing with such short prices that you would need to be betting rather, rather healthy amounts that I'm still, I'm not someone, unless it's something like the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. I'm not somebody that's betting $1,000 or $2,000 or anything like that. But, you know, 100 is basically my ceiling. Anywhere, you know, less than that, so be it. I'll occasionally splurge if there's a pick five or a pick six carryover. But for the most part, I don't really go much above $100. So it, if you're someone who has deeper pockets and you're alive in a situation like that, certainly. Um, I did it for the Aqueduct contest I won back in 2014. Um, we got to that last race and there I was more or less in a good position to finish in the top three. And I think the worst payout would have been something like 7,500 bucks. And I had the horse that I picked in the contest in the last leg who, if she won, I would have won and she ended up doing so. But there were the two others that I was kind of, I had narrowed it down to in a field of 11. And I bet enough on those two that if they won, maybe it would have softened the blow a little bit. Maybe I could have picked up another few thousand to go on top of the the third place money. So I don't think it's to, you know, a black and white sort of answer. I think every circumstance is a little bit different. Um, and for me, the, the open wasn't an instance where I wanted to really go about and hedge the money uh, on the line. Wasn't great enough that it was going to be the, you know, the end all be all if it didn't work out, I was going to just let it ride and see how, how it shook out. But if you're alive for considerably more than that, you know, absolutely. It's something to consider. Now we got, we got what some are calling, the second masters uh and <laughs> in, in your words offline you may have said something like augusta north and lovely <laughs> detroit this week uh it, you know rocket mortgage classic i mean what what are you looking for because you know this is historically a, a course that a guy like uh bryson bryson dechambeau has won this recently you know if you can drive it you're going to put yourself in some really advantageous uh, positions. What are you looking at this week? Do you, do you have a play for us? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately a week like this where, you know, you've got a bit of the major hangover. We saw that, you know, last week where the field was extremely soft in the grand scheme of things and, and probably the best player in the field ended up winning Tony Fien. Now um, you look at this week, 
there's there are some bigger names in there, but it, I think it's still pretty top heavy. I mean, Cantlay is the favorite at eight to one. Uh, he makes all the sense in the world. He's the kind of guy that I don't necessarily trust him in majors, but you know, his top end in, in some of these events where he's the best player, this is usually when he goes and struts his stuff. I couldn't possibly, you know, back him or vouch for backing him at eight to one. Um, the guy that I'm playing in a, a year long fantasy golf kind of tournament contest sort of thing where you pick a guy each week and once you pick him, you can't use him again. And you basically just accumulate whatever their earnings are for any given tournament. And at the end of the year, you know, payouts happen. Uh, so where I've gone this week, I went with Max Homa. Um, he's, I've seen him anywhere between 14 and 20 to one, depending on what book you're using. Uh, 14 seems light. If you can get close to that 18 or 20, I think that's at least interesting. Homa's numbers Strokes gained. I think overall he's in the top 15 uh, for the season. And it feels like his game is, you know, you, you see these guys that as they continue to sort of mature and, and figure out what being a, a proper professional is all about, you see them take these steps. I feel like this is the best season he's had. And maybe he hasn't been super competitive in majors yet. He did have a top 15 or a top 20 at the PGA back in May. But I think this has been the best season from home thus far. And, and I think next year, he's going to be a legitimate threat in some of these major championships. And, um, you know, this year he's already picked off a couple of victories. And I think he's got a big chance here this week, to your point, if you can keep the ball length obviously matters, but uh, this is a, a track where I, I think proper players kind of can, can show through. And I know we've had some kind of quirky results in the past, but um, at Detroit golf club, I think, I think home fits really well here. Again, I don't know that I'd love him at 14, uh, but if you can get something close to that 18 or 20, depending on what you're playing with, to me, he's a very logical play in here. Um, not the flashiest number you'll ever see, but I think in these events, especially after majors, uh, I, I think some of the the cream rises to the top. I think a guy like Homa or, or a Cantlay, I think they're both very, very strong plays this week, acknowledging that Cantlay, I think, is just an underlay period at 8-1. to one. I like it. I'm looking at every mortgage in the house and putting on Max Homa. I love it. I love the play. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, Matt, let's let's pick up some horsey talk on the flip side after a quick break and a call to my banker right after this. If you like the StuCast, you might want to check out what's going on over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and on the In The Money Media Network. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts devoted to horse racing from the player development side to the week in, week out gambling side to the horseman side. There's going to be a show for you. Come check us out in themoneypodcast.com and we look forward to seeing you there. All right, back with the man, the myth, the legend. Some call him Bernier. Some call him Matt. I call him Matt Bernier. He is phenomenal. We're going to get to his bread and butter, horses running in circles, and you betting money on it. I mean, uh, how's your Saratoga meet been going so far? Very well. Uh, I'm playing in a uh, meat long contest. Uh, I won't name the name of it, but people can figure it out. And uh, opening weekend was very good. Uh, last weekend was a little... A little meh, you know, kind of in and out, uh, but I'm, I'm still in very good shape through uh, through two weekends. And, um, you know, knock wood, the weather continues to cooperate. All things considered, it's been pretty good up there so far. 
Um, but you know, Saratoga is always a tough meet just because it's been stated before, but you've got horses coming from many different jurisdictions. And I think that's been, that's one of the big differences between Saratoga and Del Mar, not just the atmosphere and the environment, this, that, and the other, but Del Mar for all intents and purposes is Santa Anita South. You get some new fresh faces. Sure. But Saratoga, you get horses coming in from Florida and from Kentucky and from Maryland and you name it, they come from everywhere. And I think that just makes it that much more difficult to, you know, really get a good keen sense of things. But at the same time, that's why the payouts can be as, as healthy as they are. So, so far, so good. Hopefully the, the trend continues. Yeah. And, and we're going to take a look uh, at the late pick three on Friday, trying to help you folks out, uh, figure some of these races out. I sure need the help because uh, it's it's hard times at the Stukas household, Matt. So hopefully we can we can uh, change that around. We'll start race eight on the green stuff, uh, going five and a half. And, and look, if I know one thing about Matt Bernier, it's that it, it, turf sprints are the easiest bet you make. Uh, <laughs> nothing weird ever happens in turf sprints. That's what you've said multiple times on the Matt Bernier show. Yep. Uh, you know, just an easy race to pick, you know, you have 38 horses. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just free money, Matt, where are you going in this, uh, in this turf sprint? Yeah. I mean, so I, I have said it before. I can't stand turf sprints. I do understand. <laughs> I understand the appeal though. You typically get full fields and, you know, you can, you can do some different things with turf sprints from a racing standpoint. So I, I do understand the allure. They're not my cup of tea, but when they're in sequences, you got to play them. Uh, I guess the other thing I would sort of preface is for me with a sequence like this, I'm much more inclined to use fewer and press up rather than spread deep. Um, I, I just think philosophically, that's kind of how I go about a pick three or a double or something like that. Maybe you spread a little bit more on a pick four or a pick five or a pick six, but with the pick three, it's, it's really stand on the opinions and, and try to hammer something. Um, the two horses that I was looking at, the two XY speed for Maker coming out of a stakes event at Canterbury, now in for the 62.5. Uh, the horses that have come out of that race, you know, the, the second place finisher was the next out winner with an 86 buyer moving up from an 85. The eighth and 11th place finishers both improved their buyer next out by 18 points and nearly 30 points. So I think that 83 buyer that this horse earned is probably a little bit better than it looks on paper. And it would make sense. This one has a few low nineties in his back pocket. So I think X, Y speed makes sense. He's one I would use. And the other one, maybe he's fool's gold. Um, but Fauci Fauci's much better, I think, than his two for 14 record would suggest. And I typically avoid these horses because they like to finish second and third. He's got nine runner-up or, or third-place finishes from 14 lifetime starts. But that N2X at Belmont most recently, I thought it was just a, an unfortunate situation for Pratt. He was down in the inside. He was loaded, forced to wait. He eventually shot up the wood. He flipped to his left lead at the very end. But I thought he finished well. And for being as backed up as he was with an eighth of a mile to go, for him to get up for second, I think speaks volumes. I think there is some speed in here. You know, Artemis City Limits came back and won next out with a 98 buyer. The seventh place finisher moved their buyer up eight points in the next start. I just think Fauci fits in here. And, and again, I'm not going to fault anybody that listens and says, how can you trust this horse? You can't. But I do think he is one of the likelier winners of this race if he gets any kind of racing luck. 
Yeah, I, I'm totally there with Fauci. I I ended up uh, defaulting to the 10, Chuck Willis for Mark Cassie and Johnny V. I just, you know, it, and I worry about the price with this one. So I'm, I'm going to hold off until I see what the tote board tells me. But, you know, obviously dropping out of that uh, grade two Hill, Highlander, Hilllander, whatever the hell it is, uh, I, I just see it speed to the speed. And with the rails moved out 18 feet this week, I, I kind of feel like the speed might be a little bit more advantageous. I mean, we'll, we'll see today as we record this on uh, Wednesday and, and tomorrow, see what that looks like. But I, I, early on, I, I'm kind of more inclined. I give a little edge more so to, to the speedier horses. And I think this one is just going to be, the speed here um a little bit faster than noble emotion in, in my mind uh what do you think about the time yeah no i mean I, I understand the logic you've got some figs that are more than capable of getting the job done uh i i think the the speed piece you know i, I can sit here and say i think there's a fair bit of speed in here but more often than not speed and turf sprints wins so uh, I, I wouldn't talk anyone off of a horse that they think has especially the potential to clear off to the front. Uh, I, I just, it's an interesting race. You can go a few different ways. Uh, if it's not that one from a pace standpoint, I could see the three much better just simply because it's speed nearest the rail and some of the pace figs that this one has earned on dirt, I think would translate very, very well. But, you know, dirt speed isn't necessarily the same as turf speed. And, you know, you got a few different things that you got to factor in. But if, if you think the 10 can clear off, then I think that's a very logical play. Uh, let's go to the ninth on the dirt six furlongs, uh, an allowance here. I, I had a tough time with this one. I, I landed on the three life changer, but that's not a life changing opinion. Um, uh, are you any cleverer than, than I am with this? Uh, well, first things first, when I downloaded my past performances, I didn't have program numbers. Same, and there's a couple entries. Here. Okay, so I don't know the I have names for you. I don't have numbers for this race. Um, I, I think Vikram makes a bit of sense coming out of that N two well down at Belmont Park was claimed for sixteen thousand by Jeff Engelhart. Twelve to one morning line, by the way. Yeah, you know I don't think this one's necessarily a likely winner, but four of the five horses from that run on June twelfth have improved their buyer speed figure by at least five points in the next start, including the runner up who was a next out winner who was seven lengths behind Vikram. Uh, I think that one makes a little bit of sense. I won't be surprised at all if Baltazar does win. Uh, this is a horse, I believe, it's five to two. I saw in the morning line somewhere thereabouts. Yes, uh, yes. you know, figures to be forwardly placed beneath Manny. Uh, you know, mo has more or less paired up by her tops, eighty-three and eighty-four in the last two starts. I typically think that precedes a forward move. If this one gets up into a high eighty, low ninety, probably going to win the race. Uh, but the horse that would be sort of my lone A in my my press in a pick three is on the hill. Um, you know, effectively has paired up the buyer tops, like I just mentioned for the other horse, Baltazar, 80 and 79 in each of the last two starter allowances. A couple of runner-up finishes is not one that's going to be up pushing the pace. And I, I think, I'm hopeful anyway, that could be an advantageous spot because I think there is a little bit of speed in here. And some of these horses that have been forward, they've, been, they've, they've done so on relatively soft leads. Now they're all going to sort of line up and probably have to go a little bit quicker than maybe they want to. I think that could sap a little bit of the energy out of them. And a horse like On the Hill, no disrespect to Heeman Harkey, but 
giant move up to Luis Saez. I think this one could be much closer. Uh, there's only been one horse to exit that race, come back and run next out that July 3rd race at Belmont. Uh, that horse earned a 59 from a 39, so improved 20 points, not suggesting all of a sudden on the hill is going to run 100 buyer. But um, I just think on the hill is a horse who I like the, the complexion. I like the potential for the race shape. Um, and, and hopefully you're not looking at a, a, a two or three to one shot. I think maybe you can get, you know, nine to two, something like that. Yeah. I, I morning line nine to two. I think, I think, you know, knowing our friend, David uh, Aragona, he, he does, he's, he's generally spot on ish with, with those morning lines. Uh, let, let's wrap it up here with the 10th, the mile and the 16th on the turf. And uh, this, this one, I, I feel like you can get um, you can get a little a little dicey here. I, I don't know I don't know that the favorites who for the most part are pretty much all to the outside. Uh, I I don't know that there's any cinch in here. Um, I think the the morning line favorite is uh, an Irad going out for uh, Peter Walder at four to one in the twelve hole. I, I think this is one of those you know end of the day uh, races that just produces, you know, uh, a double digit payout. And uh, I, I'm interested to see where you go here. Yeah. I, I don't have the Walder horse anywhere. Um, you know, horse could win. And I feel like you always have to, whoever Arad is riding for, you, you need to at least give a look, uh, but I don't have that horse anywhere. There are two horses coming out of a common race. And initially I looked at Radiant Gem just on the paper. And I said, all right, paired up 66s. We'll move forward. And I went back and pulled up the replay. And it was actually a race that uh, PTF and I were on for Horse Player Happy Hour. And I had forgotten just how miserable the trip for Rosemary Potatoes was. The problem is I think everyone, if you haven't watched the tape, go back and do so. It was, an, I mean, an absolutely impossible scenario for rosemary potatoes the horse looked like could have gone off in one by four buried down on the inside i mean the short running line says stymied eighth pole um i mean stymied is probably being kind the horse never was able to run at any point the problem is i think everybody and their brother is going to look at that and say okay well this horse probably should have won last out at this level uh you're gonna excuse me um that was at open 50 now we're talking about starter allowance types but now you move to junior alvarado from eric cancel I think this one's going to get bet down. I don't know what the morning line is. I wouldn't be surprised if this one goes off at like six to one, which seems a little bit light. Uh, but Are you concerned? Because I know in in poor poor Handy Serling, he's he's been murdered by the Rosemary Potatoes. You think Rosemary Potatoes is just kind? Of, it's turning into that horse that there there's just there's going to be problems at every turn. I mean. Getting getting jumped at the break, bobbling starts, catching traffic. I mean, it's it's almost like every single race this one is in seems to find trouble. Yeah, it's entirely possible, and I think that's something that that folks don't give enough credence to. And and hell, maybe I'm walking into it with Fauci all over again. You know, there, there's always something. It's a trip. Uh, the pace didn't materialize. X, Y, and Z. Well. When push comes to shove, despite the fact that I like him in that race, in race eight, Fauci didn't win very often. And, and the same goes for Rosemary Potatoes. The only victory has come in the career debut going four and a half on the slop. So it's entirely possible that, that she's just a little bit trouble prone. Um, and I, I, 
maybe I'm overestimating it and there aren't that many people that go back and watch tape and, and you know, for a number of different things. But if you haven't, that run on, on June 30th, it was, a, it was a miserable trip for Rosemary Potatoes. So I think both of those two definitely have chances. But the one that I'm going to I'm going to stand up on and, and press, maybe it's a little bit foolish because the fig is a hair on the light side. But I just really thought in my wake ran well in the career debut. Um, just a couple lengths off of a relatively swift pace was wide throughout and kicked on and finished like a good thing. Wasn't bet too heavily that day for Clement. Uh, but Clement's numbers have been strong past five years. Turf route, second time starter, maiden winner, last out. Seven for 26, 14 in the money with the 315 ROI. And I don't think there are any superstars in here. Kind of to your point, what you were alluding to at the top, the idea that, you know, maybe this is a prime chance for, for some sort of a big price. I don't know that in my, white, in my wake will be a big price, but I can't imagine the horse is going to pay anything less than, than 10 or $12. So um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I thought all things considered in a field like this, where I go through and I go, well, you, you're a little bit gross. You don't make a lot of sense. Uh, there's, there's questions here, this and that, this and that. I, I don't really have many questions right now for in my wake. Sure. She's taking on winners for the first time, but what, what winners in here are you terrified of? So um, in my wake would be my, my lone A in this spot. I, I kind of, it, I, I liked Radiant Gem, who you mentioned up top. I, I thought that one, there, there's every, every bit of room for improvement there. So I'm with you on that one. I, I went a little, uh, I went a little off the board with the seven Shaolin, obviously a Wu-Tang reference, <laughs> the Rizza, the Jizza, the Ghostface Killer. I mean, I look at this one in out of a dam that was a turfer, Half to two winners on the turf. Um, I, I I think this one, you know, first time turf. I'm going to take a shot and try and get a little lucky here. I don't know that you're going to get the 12 to 1 morning line. Because like we've been saying, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go. And, and it's not necessarily at the lower end of the toe board. But I think, I think you, you might still be able to find a 10 to 1 come post time. We'll, we'll see, you know, what they say. Uh, but I, I kind of looked at that seven and said, if I'm going to take a shot with somebody, uh, that might just be the one. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think she falls into that category of sort of what I was trying to get to within my wake of unexposed. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that she will take to the turf, but I don't know that she won't. And where some of these other girls, I, I, I know what they are at this point. Joe Sharp, first time going out from his barn, Pratt picks up the mount. You brought up a little bit of turf breathing and purely on numbers. If, if this one can translate, and again, I guess it depends on what kind of figs you use. The buyer's a little bit light, but the time form US number, if you can translate that from the dirt to the turf, she's absolutely in with the chance. I'll be very curious to see where Pratt positions her because I think she can be a little bit closer to the pace than maybe she was in that, that maiden score last out at Churchill going on one turn mile. If she is, and she can get the jump on some of these other horses, I think that could work to her advantage, but for me, very often these races boil down to, I want the unknown commodity. I want the ones that I know you're not a loser, basically. And I know that sounds a bit harsh, but I, I don't, I have no interest in trying to back a horse. Look, Mia at midnight could win. She's two for 20. I know she won two starts back, but that was out in Southern California. I, I just, I, I don't need her at a short, short number because it rad's bored. Um, that, that's just my philosophy. I'm, I'm always wanting to look for horses that are unexposed at certain levels or doing certain things. 
Uh, and I think you and I found two of them in here, whether or not they run, we'll find out. But, um, you know, that that's kind of my, my general gist in these sort of races. Hey, got to take a shot sometime, right? Like That's you it. were saying earlier, uh, Matt, what do you got cooking? Matt Bernier show, uh, new episode. I think just, I saw my feed came out possibly last night. I remember seeing it. Um, Matt Bernier show horse player, happy hour. I mean, you're a jet setter. So, I mean, are you going to been, are you going to be in a visa this week? I, I don't know. What, what do you no. got going on, brother? No, this is a, yeah, this is a home weekend, which is nice, but yeah, uh, every Monday, the Matt Bernier show, the pod is up. You can find it on your podcast feeds, or you can watch it over on YouTube. Thursdays, we got horse player happy hours, myself and PTF. Uh, we got another one this week. It's going to be all Saratoga It's on Thursday afternoon. If you want to get involved with horseplayers.com and it goes to a good cause. The juice, the takeout goes to thoroughbred aftercare. So, and it's only a $20 buy-in. So just come and have some fun with us and then watch along on breeders cup social channels or in the money media social channels from four to five Eastern uh, still doing my write-ups for NBC Sports Edge for the horses. Those usually go up on Friday afternoon, early evening, sometimes Saturday morning. Uh, and beyond that, I have a little bit of a breather right now. There's some things that we're trying to work on that may or may not come to fruition. We'll, you know, if there's something to talk about, we'll talk about it. But uh, my next show, I will not be on the Whitney show. That'll be on NBC. Uh, I won't be back on until Labor Day weekend up at Saratoga for the Jockey Club Gold Cup. So get a few weeks uh, at home and, you know, get to enjoy the beach while while we've got decent weather in New England. And who knows, you may be uh, signed to be a relief pitcher for the Red Sox. Who knows? Well, I, I, I would probably just turn that offer down at this point because it's so <laughs> it's so damning. Um, well, they gave up another run to the Blue Jays. You hate I, to I, see it. I, they need to, they need to tear it down. Uh, I, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I know this is a team that, you know, they went on that, that run of, I don't know, it was 21 and six or 21 and seven over a 28 or 29 game stretch. And um, they, the, the, the play recently has just been so, so disenchanted. So um, I don't even have the right words for it. They've just been terrible. And I, I don't know, maybe the, I was talking to my buddies about it. I, I don't know if sort of the the cloud of management not doing anything to show that they want to re-sign Rafael Devers, management all but making it clear they don't intend on re-signing Xander Bogarts, uh, J.D. Martinez, it was a foregone conclusion when his deal's up, he's out. You know, I, I don't know if that sort of weighs over this team and they've started to check out, um, but I think you need to, I think you got to burn it down. I, I think... Martinez has to be traded depending on what you could get from Bogarts. I would probably at least consider that if uh, Valdi try to move him and, and just know that you're going into next year, hitting, hitting the reset button. They, they're in last they're behind the Orioles. And I, I, hey, I apologize O's, to, the I, are tough, man. That's I know, a, that's I know they're nice on a good little team. run, but you, you should not be behind the Baltimore Orioles. That's if you're the Boston Red Sox, you got, you got a, you got a payroll of $230 million. And I know, Many, many of those millions of dollars are on the disabled list, but or the uh, injured list. But um, I, I think you you tear it down, uh, you or, punt, and, and you hope or, that um, you hope that the future is better. They're either on the disabled list or they're tearing apart your AAA locker room. One or the other. It depends. Well, and it's his whole thing. That that's a shame. Initially, my friends and I were like, of course he's got a you know shattered pinky, but that's. 
that's not that's not sales fault you know i can't blame him for that but uh it's just unlucky that you catch a liner and and that's that i mean that that sums it up right there in a nutshell that, that <laughs> you get your ace back and then all of a sudden he's gone you know a week and a half later but um yeah it's been very very disappointing not overly surprising because last last year was a surprise they weren't supposed to do what they did um uh, the team wasn't that good despite the fact that the offense was still putting up numbers the pitching still sucked um they just they, they have a lot of needs right now and you know for them to show such little interest in locking up if it, it's bets all over again the bogarts piece i don't even mind and I, I i will stop going off on a tangent or rambling but the bogarts piece i get it you know do you really want to pay a 30 or 31 year old shortstop top dollar because he can still produce he's still one of the best in the game knowing that historically those contracts don't work out i don't really fault them for that the devers one there's no excuse unless you expect him to fall off a cliff this is a kid that no he's not great at third base but guess what i don't think he's a third baseman long term you can move him to first you can move him to dh but he should be your your bat somewhere between two and four for the next 15 years and they they are making no indication that they want that to be the case. It's mind boggling. And you got Marcelo Mayer coming up the pipeline. Well, that's the other reason with Bogarts, at least, you know, you, you kind of between story being there. I know story probably in his heart of hearts wants to be a shortstop, but with Meyer coming up, you know, the golden goose, I, I'm not, Stunned. That's why, to me, in a perfect world, and granted, Bogey doesn't want to do it, and I don't think Devers would want to do it either. But a, you you sign both of them, but you move Bogarts to third, you move Devers to first because they have a black hole at first base right now, and then you've got Meyer at short, you've got Story at second, you've got the best infield in baseball. Yeah, the Bobby Dahlbeck experience has not worked out that well. It's, a, I mean, it like I don't know if you've actually seen the numbers, like it, it is staggering. Oh, it no, is, I, I I mean, take a look at what the Tigers offense is producing. And it's I mean, it was particularly Dahlbeck. Like, yeah, the, the, the poor kid, he's he's lost right now. He's been lost yeah. for a long time. Yeah, it's a shame, too, because uh, he's he's the Red Sox. I, I kind of liked just a masher when he first came up. And that's uh, tough. But at least, hey, at least you're not the Tigers. So that's a positive. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I, I I've seen that they're prepared to to trade anyone. Which yeah, we're we're crazy. looking to get you know maybe a Sam's Club gift card, uh, <laughs> and, and maybe 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 a gas card where yeah, sure. you know Speedway is out there, so you know get some points. We're tough, looking tough to times make... right now. Tough times right now. Gas is gas is expensive. Yeah, you hate to see it. Uh, yeah. Well, again, I want to preface this to uh, hit it again. Horse Players Happy Hour for a great cause. Um, and, and the show you and uh, Pete do is great, even though it looks like Pete retired 13 years ago to write the next great American novel every week. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's interesting. But you guys do a phenomenal job. Go support that uh, every Thursday. It's phenomenal. We'll be back next week. NCAA Futures Preview. Bobcat. Uh Eagles Rob, they're going to be on. We got some plays for you. NFL future show coming up. Phil Steele, College Football Magazine. He will be on soon. So get ready, get excited. We'll see you next week. And until then, we'll see you after a while.